Hi. Thank you. All right. I think that we're good to go. Come on in. All right. We got some handouts that are going around, so if you don't have one, just put your hand up. Carl can help out, get one to you, or Larry right there can help you get one. But thanks for being here. How y'all doing? Good? All right. I already see the side's already a little bit louder. I don't know what you're just saying. All right, so it's good. Uh, I'm going to get started. Before I do, um, i probably give like a little personal intro. I think I know almost everybody here, but, but in just in case uh, you don't, my name is Billy Cochran, uh, and I've been a member here at Community Bible for about the last decade. So like 11 years, uh, married to Madison Cochran, and uh, we got three kids. Eight, six, and three. So y'all pray for us. All right. So uh, I'm also a seminary student currently. I go to uh, a seminary called Grimke Seminary. It's located in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I'm about one and a half years in there right now, and we'll have, um, if it's in the Lord's will, a Master's of Theological Studies uh, at the end of this year. So that's what I'm in training for with the idea of uh, church planning. So. Very exciting. I'm very excited what God's doing. I have to give a couple of, of like prefaces a little bit about me. First, you already heard a couple of them. I'm gonna, I'll probably drop a couple of y'alls, and you're going to be like, oh, I didn't know that guy was Southern. I'm not. Um, but grandma's from West Virginia, so just like to show a little respect by dropping a couple of y'alls for her. So shout out to grandma. Uh, and then you'll notice I'm going to move around. I won't stay here uh, the whole time. Uh, I do like, I like to move around. And it's not because I like this side better. It's not. I'll just, you know, like to walk around, look at some eyeballs, and see uh, if you're paying attention and all that good stuff. We've got some fill-in-the-blanks on there. Make sure you're writing them down. Um, and that's, that's a little bit there. So today, um, what we're going to do, and I'll be here this Sunday, and then if you don't run me off, I'll come back next Sunday, too, which would be awesome. Uh, and we're going to talk about what it means to love your church. So pastor's like, I'm not going to be there, so I really need you to let the group know, like, they need to love this church. And I was like, okay, I'm just kidding. I chose this message. <laughs> I chose this message. Um, but it's an important time to look at that. And this is a book that the dean of the seminary that I attend wrote. His name's Dr. Tony Morita. And he wrote this book um, about a year ago. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's like 10 bucks. Um, but we're going to do a good high-level overview uh, of some key points in this book that talk about the importance of loving your local church, the importance of the local body of Christ, and why that's so important. Um, and he, he specifically goes in here about eight great responsibilities that we have as church members in remembering what those things are, because it can be easy to forget what the importance is of being a local church member. Um, more importantly, being a local church family, because that's what we are, right? We're a family together. Uh, and those are the things we're going to talk about. But before I get into actual content, um, we're going to talk about why this is so important. So you can talk about loving your church anytime, and it's probably an important thing and a good thing, right, to talk about that. Uh, but even more so now in the context of the things that we have going on in our world, right? Uh, I think about coming two years out of a pandemic, where Literally, the phrase was social distancing. That's almost an oxymoron to the local church. The local church is to not distance, to be together, to be one, right? And so you think about that, two years in a global pandemic coming out of that, praise be to God. Um, and then you think about the emotions that come from that. Whether you were on the side that was like, this thing's fake news, or if you were on the side that this is a real thing and we all experienced some, some, some deaths, unfortunately, from it, it stirs up emotions. Your life that you are living changed because of it. Instead of your normal life, some things change, where you had to wear a mask every single day. That was not the norm, right, of our life. Or some of us were going to the grocery store, I mean, in a hazmat suit, putting the groceries in the garage for like three days, then spraying them with Lysol. Like that changed your life in some way or another, right? No matter what you believed about it, it changed. And when you go through a dramatic change like that, there are emotions that come out because we're human. 
you go through some kind of PTSD because of that dramatic change that happened. And so emotions that come out of that, I think of things like stress, anxiety, depression. I don't, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you guys know things like depression are high, suicide rates are up, antidepressant medication is up, right? Like, I don't, I don't need to tell this group that, right, from these things. Then you throw in a very cruel and evil leader who is invading another country, right? And not only is he invading another country, because we could be like, ah, that's way over there, but he's throwing out some lofty threats that can be concerning for us, right? And so what does that stir up? Stirs up some emotions of fear, right? You can be fearful of that. And then you think about the economy. A lot of uncertainties there, right? Stock market down. Home values are so high, it makes you think there will be another burst, right? You think about gas prices, right? I was talking, I was talking to Ken Rapp about this beautiful truck out there. I was like, man, that thing probably costs like 160 to fill it up right now. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a lot. But that can cause uncertainty. So think about the emotions, right? If I was to ask you, so those emotions I talk about, stress, anxiety, depression, fear, uncertainty. Raise your hand if you talk to somebody, a brother or sister, that had shared those emotions or you know they were feeling those emotions in the last two years. Raise your hand if you talk to somebody like that. Of course, every single, almost every single hand is up. You felt those emotions or somebody you know is going through those emotions. And so as I was thinking about it, right, it's easy for us to be like, what is the, what is the number one emotion that would combat all of those? What combats fear? What combats stress? What combats anxiety? Love. Love and faith, right? Love and faith. And more important, let's just go, go even a little bit more specific, Christ's love. Showing Christ's love, right? When, some, when a brother or sister comes to you and they show stress, anxiety, fear, depression, you show them Christ's love, right? That's what you show up with. That's what we've been taught. We show Christ's love. What is Christ's love? He sacrificed his body. He sacrificed his whole being. For what? The bridegroom. What's the bridegroom? The church, right? Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And that's what we need to be, right? We need to be these servants, these sacrificial, loving people, right? And when I thought about this message specifically, I thought in my mind first was, this is a great opportunity because the people that are feeling these emotions are going to look for places to help alleviate it, right? Unfortunately, sometimes people are going to go to drugs, alcohol to alleviate it, right? Pornography, things like that to dilute it, right? But there's going to be people that are going to look to the local church, right? I mean, there are people right now, we are on, at a point where there's going to be a good chunk of people that are going to be looking to the local church, which is a beautiful thing. And so when they walk in these doors, what do they see? What do they see? Do they see Christ's love? That's what we hope. And that was originally what, what I was kind of moving towards was like, how do we be this uh, attractive church that people walk in and they're like, I want to be a part of that fam, right? And then, and then it kind of hit me. I had a little conviction. Because I've always been taught, right, that the change you want to see starts internal before you want to see the things external, right? And it was like, well, are, are we, as a local church body, are, are we loving our church? I'm talking us already that are members, right, that are here coming every Sunday. Because we aren't excluded from those emotions I just read, right? Just because we believe Jesus doesn't mean we don't have stress, don't mean we don't have anxiety, don't mean we don't have depression, doesn't mean we don't have fears of uncertainty. We aren't excluded from that. Are we, before we even go external, because I do, I want to bring the brothers and sisters out and I want to bring them in, but are we showing the love of our church and are we loving each other? Are we supporting each other? Are we loving each other every single day and showing each other here that? And that's, that, was, that was kind of the conviction I had in putting this message together was it starts internal. It starts internal. 
Are we showing the love of Christ to one another in here? And there's an opportunity. I think a lot of you would say, I, th- I, think, we're doing, I think we're doing all right. I think we're doing pretty good. I think that we are, but we can always do better. Right? We can always do better to be there for each other in the local church. And I think right now is the time. Right? I think the local church, this is the time for the local church. There was a Ukrainian pastor that was being uh, interviewed, and they asked him, like, hey, when are you going to leave? And he was like, why would I leave? If I left now when times were hard, why would people come to the church when times were fine? And so there may be things that are hard right now, but this is the time that the local church steps up. This is the time that the local church comes together as the body of Christ and loves each other, supports each other, gives to each other, hugs each other, cries together. That's, that's the times we're in right now, the local church. It's time for us to step up uh, and remember and let's replenish our souls because there's nothing more that helps replenish your soul than being there with your brothers and sisters shoulder to shoulder who love Christ with you. That revives us, that, that gives us energy when we do that. And that's a great time. And that, that's what I want us to really focus our hearts and souls on as we dive into the content we're going to learn here. In order to do that, we've got to ask God for a little help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, first off, this church loves you. Lord, we love you. I don't know if we say that enough. We love you. We pray that today in this message that you would encourage us, you would uplift us, that you would remind us of the importance of your local church that you would work in our hearts and our souls, Lord, that you would convict us today and remind us what it means to love our church, that we would look at these responsibilities not as a burden, but we would look at these responsibilities as a gracious gift that you gave us to live out every single day. We pray that you would give us that message today and help us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to get started and as a little introduction, and you can look at page one of your, your document there. Um, I'm going to read the intro, <clears throat> but before I do, I'm also going to pull up a little of our sacred scripture. I want, if, you, if you have yours with you or on your phone, you can pull up to Acts 2. Acts 2, and I'm going to start in verse 40. Acts 2 and verse 40, and I'm just going to read to 47. This is talking about the fellowship of the believers. If you have the NIV, you'll see even a title right there that says the fellowship of the believers. I'm going to read just two verses right above that. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Hold off the amens there. I know y'all feeling that, okay? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, let that sink in, they were together all the time, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together, there's that word again, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Praise be to God, we get to see this first local church and the people were always together. They were worshiping, they were dedicated to the teaching, they were breaking bread together all the time. All the time. That's encouraging to us to see that in that local church. And so we see as our introduction here on page one, The aim of this book, Love Your Church, is for us to realize the significance of the church and the role that we play in it. This is for anyone who wants to faithfully follow Jesus in the context of a local fellowship and to enjoy making a difference as they do. And if you are to love your local church, the best place to start is by seeing what your church is. And so we get that glimpse in Acts, what does it look like to be a church body? And that's what this book is going to design to do, is talk to us about those responsibilities that come with being a local church member. So first, and you can follow along, maybe a little bit uh, tough to read, but I'll, I'll say it out loud as well. Number one, 
the first great responsibility of being a church member is belonging. Belonging to something that does something for us when we belong to something. And more importantly, we belong to a family that's dedicated to Jesus Christ. And so we'll continue um, with the, the second bullet point here. As image bearers of God, people are made for community. I mean, it's right in our name. That's how much we, we believe in that. As these image bearers, people are made for community. The triune God. You think about that for a second. Our God is not just one. Our God in and of himself is a community, is a relationship, is a relational God. Triune God is a relational God, and he has created us for relationships. This started at the very beginning. How long did he leave Adam alone? Not very long, because he saw that it wasn't good. And so he gave him a partner in the very beginning of your book, because God made us. He created us for relationships. And there's this need we have for community. I think this is funny, but this is true. If you think about some of like uh, popular TV shows, you think about what makes them so popular, right? I could even, I'm not going to sing. Anthony's told me multiple times I'm not going to be on the, on the worship band. My voice is not the best, but I sing loud. But it's maybe not the greatest sound you've ever heard. But if I was to say, I want to go where everybody knows my name, right? Think about that. What was the whole precedent of that show? It was literally that you could go to a local establishment where you wouldn't have to be alone and everybody would know your name. That was the whole purpose. And people loved that show. Loved that show. I don't even know if there was a storyline or a plot. It was just about people going there and just like talking about life, right? This one, I'll give you a little, just a little jingle, right? Um, I'll be there for you. Because you were there for me too, right? What are we talking about? Friends. There literally was a show that was just like six people that lived in Manhattan, and it was just their life. That's all they did. Like they just like worked, had relationships, and then like just met together all the time. That was it. That was it. Friends. That was the show. And it, it like goes down in infamy as like the most popular TV show there ever was. And then you think about uh, Lost. I don't know if anybody here was big on that show, but like it was just a community um, of people that were in a, an airplane accident and they, they were in a community together. These shows, I mean, there's now like blogs and social media groups that like meet and talk about the show. That's how important it was to them. Here's a fun one that like, this one always kind of blows my mind, but I, it's relevant because my dad does this. The local gym. More people go to the local gym to be a part of like, I'm a part of the gym community than like actually working out. You know, like homies over there, like he's just like doing a little bit of bike, but he actually just wants to be there because there's other people there. My dad, my dad, he comes to me and tells me all the time. He's like, I was talking to John at the gym. And then he's like, I was talking to Dave at the gym. And they're like, they're like buddies. And that's what he goes there for, for the community. Now pray for me, which I got to get him in the local church, all right? Um, but the people were made for a community. That's in our souls. That's in our hearts. God made us for that. He made us for this right here, for each other, for community, and that's super important, all right? That's what I talk about in, in, in bullet point B there. So let's go, let's go to C. Experiencing the blessing of community requires you to avoid what? distancing. It require, if you want to be a part of a, of a community, it requires you to avoid distancing yourself. That's what it requires. It requires you to avoid distancing yourself from other brothers and sisters in the church and to avoid neglecting times together. For example, small groups, corporate worship, and in, in ongoing communication. When we pulled up and we read Acts 2, what did it say? They were together. What did they do? They dedicated themselves to the teaching. That's what we're doing, right? And what did they do constantly? They broke bread together. They broke bread together. I and mean, we should be doing that together. We get bagels, right? 
But this doesn't stop on Sunday. It's not just the local church on Sunday, right? You guys get what I'm saying when I say that? Because we know the church isn't what? It's not the building. The church is what? The people. The people. And so does the local church shut the lights off and lock the door on Sunday? Nope. It don't. And so I ask you guys, like, how, how many times are you texting a brother and sister over the week? How many times are you inviting them over your house? How many times are you, are you talking about these emotions together of what's going on? How many times are you like friends are coming together in each other's apartment and just hanging out and talking life? Because what we have to be careful of, and this one especially, I felt, maybe just be talking to myself right here, and that's okay. I'm preaching to myself in the pulpit. That's all right. <laughs> felt this distancing creep up more as we went through the pandemic. You, feel, you guys felt that too? Okay. So it was like, and maybe because it was easier. It was just easier. It was, I mean, I had three kids, right? So it was like, man, we didn't have to get them ready in the morning. We just turned TV, we just turned church on TV, right? Came a little easier. I didn't have to drive downtown Detroit for work. Came a little easier, right? This distancing thing got a little, it, it almost got a little bit almost easier for us. Almost like, almost like relationships are like hard work. Now, you, you guys that are married, hold the amen there, right? But marriages are hard work. Relationships do take work. And you know what? They're not perfect. Why aren't relationships perfect? Because of sin. Because of the fall. Because of the fall, relationships aren't perfect because you know what? We aren't perfect. And so we're going to say something stupid. We're going to do something stupid. We're going to ne neglect a brother and sister. We're going to forget a brother or sister. We're going to forget this is the anniversary of when somebody passed away. And they're going to feel some sort of way because we forgot to say something. We're going to forget that it was their birthday. And they're going to feel some sort of way because of that. We're not perfect. And so relationships aren't perfect. But that doesn't mean we don't distance ourselves from relationships. We got to work at them. We got to work at them. And so you put in your phone reminders. Put in reminders of yourself, right, to, to do these types of things. Invite brothers and sisters over to your house. Open the doors up. The hospitality is super important, all right? Continue on, D. We need to look at the church from Jesus' perspective. From Jesus' perspective. Not my perspective, okay, not the, not the TV's perspective, we got to look at the church from Jesus' perspective. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Actually, before I go to E, what does it mean to belong to the church from Jesus' perspective? It means, one, belonging to a church means investing your life in a gospel-centered community of believers who joyfully, Pastor Ken talked about this today, who joyfully serve one another and advance Jesus' mission together. That's pretty big. That's, that's weighty. Invest your life in the local church. I've been working in, uh, I've been, I work at Quicken Loans, and I've been working there for the last decade. And career is so important in career progression and career growth. Invest in your development is something we say. Invest in your development so you can get promotions. It says right here, invest your life in a gospel-centered, Jesus-preaching local church. That should be the most important thing in your life. Not, not where you work, not where you make money, not your career, not your promotion. Invest in the local church. That's the most important thing. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his book, Spiritual Depression. The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Let this sink in right here. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. When you think of the apostles, do you think like they were going around and be like, hey, listen, there's like this dude named Jesus. He's, he's all right. I think you should follow him. No, that's not how it was going. I mean, these guys were lit on fire for the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And they made people aware that this is, they were exuberantly joyful. 
that the Lord and Savior had come and he had died on a cross and then three days later was risen from the dead for all of us. And they believed that with their whole heart and soul and every body that they had, every living being of them believed that. Sometimes we get in that, that motion, right? Am I showing exuberant joy that Jesus Christ died and rose again for me? I find like we see a little spark of this around this time of the year because Easter's coming. He is risen. He has indeed. He also did in July, August, September, October, November, right? Then too, he even risen when it snows in March. Ain't that right? And we need to show that exuberant joy that for that. And that's what, that's what D. Martin Lloyd is talking about. All right, let's continue on. Our last point here um, in this first part is elevating. Elevating our concept of the church. This might not be for anybody in here. This might be maybe somebody will watch this on YouTube or something. But there are folks out there who see going to church is a burden. It's a, it's a burden to go to church. Really? Can you believe that? It's a burden to come learn about your Lord and Savior. Man, I gotta get these kids. Gotta get these kids woke up. And that's just, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but kids, you know, they're sinners. Um, and so that can be challenging, right? But what, is, what does God say about this in Ephesians? If you're there, you can turn there. If not, it's no worries. I'm gonna read a couple of things. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for God to be glorified in the church. Glorified in the church. That's, that's Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that Christ loved the church his bride and gave himself for her. You usually hear that at a wedding, right? Loved the church his bride and gave himself for her. Chapter 5, verse 25 of, of Ephesians. The idea of, I love Jesus, but not the church, is inconsistent and it's problematic. That doesn't, that's, that don't go together. You can't say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus Christ, but then I don't, I don't go to church every Sunday. That's inconsistent with your belief system. How many times have you heard somebody say something they believe, but then their actions don't proceed? They don't follow the words that they said that they believe in, right? I, I honor my word, and then they show up like 10 minutes late, <laughs> right? We believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? I hope so, because then if we do, then we believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the church. He gave his life for the bridegroom, the church, and then we would have the audacity to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but uh, the church is, you know, it's all right, it's not that important. That's ridiculous to say, and it's inconsistent, and it's a problem if us as Christians say that. So, all right, so all good things, right? We're feeling good. What are the obstacles, though? We can't just look at, like, and say, we need to do this, amen, and then we all leave here. What are the challenges? We need to know what those obstacles are for each other that prevent us from being in this community. And so we're going to look at four uh, of these obstacles that can come into play with community. The first one we're going to look at, it's a fancy word. It's called sensationalism. Sensationalism. I'm going to read the definition for you because I know I'm going to give you a second because I know you're looking at that and how to spell it. It's okay. Do your thing. Sensationalism. Thrill seekers simply don't find life in a local church stimulating enough to really get involved and stay involved. There are people that think that this just, it's not enough. I need more. I need more. I need to go out and do more. There are people out there that um, you could go to, actually this is ironic, you could go to a seminary school, professors, literal professors that are teaching the Bible, the word of God, and don't actually attend and are a member of a local church. How is that even possible? They're smart, but they're not living it out, right? I, I, I want to go, like, 
I want to go out and do some missions and things like that. That's great. But you need to be a part of a local member of a church and live and be a part of that community. We can't get caught up in this like thrill-seeking environment where we then don't pay attention to the local church. Here's another one, another obstacle that we can run into. This one's called mysticism. Mysticism. The why. To be best placed to experience Jesus in a deep, fresh, life-changing way, you don't need to be on a perch in the desert. You need a pew in a church. To experience, right? This is, this is for somebody who's like, oh, I want to experience the Holy Spirit. I want it to come alive in me. Well, we all do. But you don't need to go be alone and be secluded and just by yourself to experience the Holy Spirit. You need to be in a pew in a church because that's where you're going to hear the word of God preached. You're going to hear the Bible. What is the Bible? Oh, it's just the word of God. The word of God. You're going to hear that preached in that local church setting. And then we have some new folks here today, right? And I know I was like going to go say hi to them. And there was like, man, somebody else kept swooping in, right? And I was like, oh, never mind. Somebody got in there. But that's the beautiful. That's beautiful that people wanted to go introduce themselves to some new folks in our church, right? That's a beautiful thing. You know what that is? That shows the character of Jesus Christ. That is the local church. That is what those people are experiencing and feeling. That's the Holy Spirit. Not I'm off on an island by myself trying to experience God internally, Okay. The next one, idealism. Idealism. I know some of these might seem like they're fancy words. It's just putting a fancy name on something that's actually very easy to understand. I'm going to read a quote here um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, from his book Life Together. He says, He who loves his dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. You see, what he's saying here is we can't have this beautiful dream of what it looks like to be in the community, in the local church. Because if we did, it's probably this beautiful thing where everybody knows my name. Everybody knows what, what's hurting inside me. People are bringing me handwritten cards every day. It's great. Tell me how much they love me. Everybody knows my favorite drink and food. Man, they're showing up. Somebody shows up every Sunday morning with that mocha, coconut milk, no whip. I can't, so it's so good, right? That dream, right? You could write that drink down and bring it next week. That's great. I'm just saying, we can't let that, that, that dream of what that looks like. And then what happens? Because here's what happens. When that dream doesn't come true, what happens? It makes you, it makes you annoyed frustrated, angered even. And you're like, man, this church doesn't even care about me. This church don't love me. These people, who are these people? And you get upset. And then friends, this is where you got to be careful because this is the friend that, you know, a little church hopping, a little church shopping. They're going over all these different churches and they're waiting to see what is this church going to give me? I walked in the doors today. How many people came up to me and, and said hi to me? You are expecting sinners, people that are fallen from God, to be Jesus Christ. What are you? What are you doing and expecting when you walk in those church doors, right? And so we got to be careful of this idealism, this perfect world, because friends, it ain't. We ain't perfect. And so the local church is not going to be perfect. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, he works in our souls, and maybe next week we'll be better than we were last week. And that's a blessing. All right, the last one here is individualism. Individualism. Many, often without realizing it, live isolated lives, especially in the West, being us, never experiencing the satisfying joy of biblical community. Y'all know anybody out there that's like, yeah, I believe in God. Don't go to a local church at all. They don't go to church at all on a Sunday. But they're like, I believe in God, right? Man, folks get caught up in this individualism of living an isolated life. And especially in the West, it has made this very easy because do you technically always have to be alone? There's this little thing. 
pull up on your phone, right? You got your phone on you, and you're a part of a social media. And you, could, you can put out messages and get immediate responses from people, right? And that can give you this false notion that you are a part of a community and that you don't need to go to a local church. I know people like stream, they do a live stream of church um, every single Sunday and they chat, they're, they're in the chat and they're chatting with people all across the world, yet they're still depressed. When was the last time that person got just a bear hug from somebody that loves them? Right? That does something for us emotionally, physically, spiritually, that does something for us. And so before I go into some action steps for us, uh, I want to read another quote from you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, Life Together. So sit back, relax, don't worry about writing. I'm just going to read this one for you. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Anybody here has been to a foreign land? It's a blessing that we get to do this every single Sunday without having to worry about condemnation. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in a community with Christian brothers and sisters. It is God's grace and nothing but because there are many people across this world that don't have the opportunity and privilege that we have every single day to gather as brothers and sisters, to hug each other, to love each other, to read scripture together and pray together without worrying that there could be some vehicles that pull up in here and shut this down. We don't have to worry about that. And so we don't have to worry about that. That's great, but that doesn't mean we should get complacent. That means we should take joy in that every single day, exuberant joy in that every single day. All right, the parts you guys aren't going to like. Some action steps. What can we do? What can we do then to show more of this belonging together? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these to, for you guys to fill them out, and then uh, I'm going to hop into to number two because I don't want to keep you guys over on time. Number one, elevate your concept of the church. If right now I struck a chord with somebody that was like, mm, maybe I do feel like it's a little bit of a burden getting here at 9.30. Pastor, could we go back to that 10.15 thing you were doing? Come on now. Elevate your view on the concept of what church is. I don't care if this thing was at 6 a.m., man. Let's get in here and let's worship God. Let's praise our Lord, right? Let's not worry. Let's not worry about the burden, Okay. It's not a burden. It is a beautiful thing. And if you feel that, and we have all felt it in our lives. I'm not trying to act like we, we don't feel this. You felt it once or twice in your life for sure. Elevate your view of what this church means. Because you may feel like, mm, I don't really feel like getting up today. I know that daylight savings time. I'm a little tired. But you're going to walk up in that church. You're going to see somebody, and that somebody needs you. They need you to come up there, tell them, hey, I'm happy you're here. It's great to see you. Because you know what? For the last six days, they didn't have one human being that maybe said that to them. And you might have given that person enough energy to get them through another week. That's what you can do. Elevate your concept of the church. Number two, identify yourself with a people in a local church. You know, believe this or not, some people um, have... um, a bad view of what it means to be like to, to be a member, like actually become a member of the local church. No, that's a good thing. That's a biblical thing. It multiple times throughout the Bible talks about, hey, count the numbers of the people. Hey, l- l- let's look at this group of people, which is implying that there was an understanding of who was in the church and who wasn't in the church. So it was very clear cut that there are, there's, there is members, there are people who are known for being in that church, and so we need to identify ourselves in a local church. I won't hit on this one too much, but 
if somebody out there, maybe, maybe this is a thought that's going on in your head right now. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's that you're looking at moving for a job. If you're considering relocating, make joining a local church a priority. One of the number one things you do when you're looking at moving to, to a new city, right? I'm not talking about if you move to Taylor. You still come to CBC. Come on now, all right? I'm talking if you're moving to a different state or something or you're moving to it's too far to drive. One of the first things on your checklist you should be doing is what's the local church we're going to go to. And Pastor Ken knows a million of them that he could tell you, oh, you're going to this city? Here's a great one. I know this pastor, okay? Number, number four, never forget that it's a privilege to belong to a local family of faith and to be a part of the larger universal church. And number five, which we probably don't do quite enough, is pray for your church. Pray for your church regularly. Pray for your... It's important, very important that we do that. All right. Number two isn't as far, uh, as, as long as number one. So you can stay with me. We're on page three now. All right, we're on page three. And this is the second responsibility. The second responsibility. The second great responsibility of being a church member is welcoming. Welcoming. It is our duty and responsibility to be very welcoming. Whether somebody's been going here for the last 25 years or this is the first time they've ever stepped foot in here, we should be incredibly welcoming to everybody. All right? And I'm not just talking about when I walk up and Bob Allen tells me how good I look today. I'm not talking to just that. I'm talking every single like, doorway you walk through, every aisle you step into, there should be this welcoming in character and environment. And so we see right there, um, right before I get to, to this first uh, bullet point, I want to read from Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans 15, verse 7. We have no right to be welcomed by Jesus into his family, but by faith in him, we have been received by him. He received us graciously, gladly, and fully. And now as a church, we are to be a welcoming community of believers centered on the gospel. That's an excerpt directly from the book. All right, so the first, first bullet point that you should have on there with some fill in the blanks. Be known for deeds of love, not acts of partiality. Right after that, faith in Christ and favoritism are completely incompatible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stress this one a little bit. I promise I'm going to get you the fill in the blanks before we get out of here. So now this group feels about that. We're not leaving anything blank. All right? Faith in Christ and favoritism are completely incompatible. If they were compatible, guess what? then Jesus would have chosen specifically, right, and said, I'm going to take this person, not this person, this person, not this person, this person, this person. If he showed favoritism, none of us would have been saved because none of us were worthy. None of us were worthy. And so for us that want to be a local church, to be image bearers and try to be as close like Jesus Christ as we can, to show favoritism, and by, by favoritism, there's multiple things that you could fill in the blank here. This could be sexism. This could be racism. This could be me-ism. I want to sit and talk and work with people who look like me, talk like me, sound like me, right? That's not what this is about, and that's not what Jesus was about. We know who he stood by, side by side. We knew who he ate dinner with. We knew whose house he went into, and it wasn't the Sanhedrin. It wasn't the great, the, the teachers of the time, right? We should not show favoritism. And this comes out in many ways. There was a young lady who at 16 years old, she came to the church with her friend for the first time. So moved in her soul, she came to Christ that day. The next week, she came into the church, into the big building. She was told multiple times by people that that's not her seat and she needs to go sit somewhere else. How do you think she feels? Because those people wanted to sit by, they, they had their friends, right? They had their friends. This is where we sit every single Sunday. And that's not what the church is about, fam. That's not what the local church is about. And I could go on for, for days with stories. Y'all know the stories. Somebody walks up in jeans. Nah, you don't wear that to church, right? 
We could go on stories for days. In James 2, verse 1, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. All right, the next one. Let's talk about four motivations to be a welcome church. Four motivations, four things that will help us move our soul to be more of a welcoming church. All right, I'm going to put them all up there so you can write them down while I'm talking. Four motivations to be a welcoming church. Number one, partiality does not reflect God's grace. He gave grace to the sinner. We did not earn it. There was nothing we did to earn that grace. It defeats the purpose of what it means to get grace. We did nothing to earn it. And so it should be a motivation to us that God gave to us salvation, a dirty sinner. He gave us salvation. And so somebody who looks dirty, different, not the same color, they should get that same grace from us and same love from us. Partiality doesn't reflect God's kingdom. There are multiple scriptures, especially if you get into Revelation, that talks about the mixed diversity of the group in God's kingdom. That every group will come back together of different races and different language, and they will come together in God's kingdom and serve one God together. Partiality doesn't reflect God's royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves, obviously, right? We know this. Love your neighbor as thyself. This is the greatest right next to love your God, right? If we aren't showing love to our neighbor, we are literally breaking that law. Partiality doesn't reflect God's mercy towards us. Earlier, I was talking about how maybe I forgot a brother's birthday. Maybe I forgot an anniversary. Maybe I said something that was a little rude, right? God showed us mercy. Why don't we show that brother and sister mercy? If you have a grudge with somebody, show them mercy. Show them God's mercy, okay? We are sinners. We do stupid stuff, and we hurt people's feelings. Show them mercy. Show them mercy, all right? Okay, last responsibility number two, action steps. All right, again, I'm gonna put these up here so you can jot them down while I'm talking a little bit about this, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna really hit on a couple of them uh, and then get you out of here so we can maybe go get some two for 20 at Applebee's. All right, here we go. Action steps. Reflect regularly on how Christ gently and graciously welcomed you. We should reflect on this a lot. We should look at going to church as such an exciting thing. It should be, a, it should be something, you know, uh, my wife Madison put it this way. Every Sunday, they had uh, their thing that they did. It was a special time. Dad made some chocolate shakes. He always experimented with different things, like he put brownies and Kit Kats in there, but it was a special thing. And then they went to church together as a family, right? And it was beautiful. And then after church, they'd probably get some Chi-Chi's. If you remember Chi-Chi's, ain't around very much anymore, but they would go to Chi-Chi's and then they would take a nap. And it was a great thing. And she remembers that to this day, to this day, she remembers how important in those traditions that they did on a Sunday. It was a beautiful thing. All right, ask God to search your heart for any pride and prejudice that you may have. It exists in all of us. Number three, in your gatherings, be on the lookout for those who are by themselves. I'm gonna hit this number one right here and you might feel some sort of way. An alone person in our gathering is an emergency. You walk in these doors and people are worshiping together and it may not always be the case, but a brother or sister shouldn't be sitting alone they shouldn't have walked in and nobody talked to them and they went to a seat by themselves. That's an emergency. We need to talk to that person. We need to get to know them. We need to know them by name and we need to let them know that we love them. Friends can wait. Introduce a newcomer to someone else. Right? Four, consider volunteering for ministries that extend hospitality. Okay? So think about how you're serving in this and how you're giving to this, whether that's hosting a, a community group which I think has helped me build some of the greatest relationships that I have in this church to this day is through that local little setting of a community group. If you're not a part of one, I, I highly recommend it. Um, but also how you minister and volunteer in this church. And then number five, again, we talked about praying for the church. Pray for your pastors and fellow church members that we will truly reflect the ministry of Jesus who is the friend of sinners. All too often, I think sometimes we can look past that, praying for our church and praying for our pastors. 
It's important that we do that. And so I'll lead us in that here um, as we get out of here so we can pick up our kids uh, and go. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we love your church. We love this church. You have shown this church so many blessings over the last decades that we have been together. And we're so thankful for that. But Lord, we're not perfect. We are not perfect. And when we, we look at these things that's important to being a church member, we look at being a group that is together, that is connected, that belongs, and being a welcoming group, it's not always the easiest thing for us to do. Sometimes we don't physically feel up to it. Sometimes we don't emotionally feel up to it. But that's why it's a community of believers. We pray for everybody here in the local church that we would walk out of here feeling revived and replenished with your Holy Spirit, that we remember that these people, this is family. This is family right here. We are brothers and sisters adopted by our Father. That's you. You have adopted us and called us to, work, to be together and break bread together and worship you. We pray, Lord, for our pastors and our elders and our deacons in this church. We pray that you continue, Lord, to give them the strength and endurance to run the race because they have done such a good job of displaying Jesus in the Bible and preaching his word to us and teaching us. We pray that you continue that. And Father, we pray for this church right here, Community Bible Church of Trenton, Michigan. We pray that you would continue to bless this church. And by the church, we mean its people. We pray that you would continue to bless the people sitting here today, that you would give us the strength to show each other love and grace and mercy when we do something wrong. Give us that strength, Lord, in this day. We pray that you would revive this this feeling of uh, being together as we go into a new week, as we go into a tough week. We pray that you would give us that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, guys.